Welcome to another episode of the A-Line Podcast. Racing is right around the corner, so if you see me at a race, be sure to come and say hello. And because racing is coming up soon, I thought it would be great to chat to Dan Clark. Dan is a handy rider himself, but also has been on the tools at both World Cup races and nationals for Isla Short and Cam Orr. So he definitely knows a thing or two about how to get your bike ready to race this season. So crack out your notepad, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Good evening, Dan. Welcome to the A-Line Podcast. Thanks for giving it your time and coming on. How's it going? Yeah, all good. Uh, thanks thanks for having me. It's uh, definitely something I've done before, but yeah, uh, here to help. Great. Well, it's the first time for everything, isn't there? Um, do you want to give the listeners a bit of an introduction, like who you are, what you do, etc.? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I work for Hunt Bike Wheels and Privateer Bikes as sort of a technical and athlete manager uh, that basically means that i fix people's stuff whether it's wheels bikes and all that jazz from your average rider who buys our wheels and, and products uh, to sort of be world tour pros and stuff like that so from time to time i occasionally get to go out and do some some field work so whether that's going to races uh, going out to tour de france and stuff like that to help out in in the field which is a part of my job i really enjoy uh, but most of the time is spent um, in sort of HQ, uh, managing the workshops and making sure we pump out high quality product for our riders and getting people back on the road and sorted and happy. But yeah, that's pretty much sums, sums up my job as such. Amazing. And and how long have you been there for? Uh, so I am one of the oldest members of staff there. So I've been there now for seven years. Uh, when I started working for Hunt, there was seven of us. Uh, and now there's over 110. Uh, so it's been a pretty mad uh, journey to be on with the amount of growth in the company, new faces coming in every other every other day. But yeah, it's been a been a bit of a bit of a bit of a roller coaster to say say least. Um, I basically started working for Hunt uh, during my university degree. I did a sort of year in, year in industry uh, with them. Uh, and then they offered me the opportunity to come back and work for the company uh, sort of after I finished my degree. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got cracking. Wow. Fantastic. I mean, that's, that's textbook, isn't it? Study something then put it to good use and get a job in it afterwards. Happy days. Yeah, it, it worked out pretty well. I definitely uh, was very lucky in that I found Hunt when I did. Um, otherwise, I don't have a clue what I'd be doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, well, before we dive any further into into you and into why you're here we'll, we'll grab the virtual coffee so like what you're out for a ride and we're stopping to get a, a snack and like a coffee what what are you ordering oh uh I, I love a good frothy coffee so i'd probably go for like a flat white or a latte or something like that and then food wise probably a cheese straw would be my be my go-to wow that's that's a first we've had the sausage roll on the savory savory side but we've never had the cheese straw um that's that's interesting i like it if it'd be a peas lake village store cheese straw that'd be ideal but who knows who knows what you're gonna end up with personally i i um i can eat most things like quite enjoy food but cheese straws just never do it for me so i've been to peas lake and the famous village stores but i got like a pasty or something i think i didn't hit a cheese straw it's all it's all, all good stuff there you can't can't go wrong jules does a good job Nice, nice. Well, there you go. Maybe I'll have to get them on as a guest one day. <laughs> so that's really interesting hearing about your your work side, but you're also quite handy um, cyclocross and well, cyclist in general, aren't you? And race a bit yourself. Do you want to um, tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So, well, uh, handy's, handy's up to interpretation. I do a bit of uh, CX and XC racing. So, 
CX in winter, uh, and then yeah, sw switch letters around and go again in summer with the XC. Uh, just came off uh, national champs uh, up in Lake District, which was good fun. Uh, came like second, which I'm pretty happy with. Uh, first time mixing up with the big boys, uh, and yeah, that's a similar sort of result in the national trophy a couple of weeks before. So yeah, uh, CX is one of my favourite things to get do. It's a good pastime in winter. Keeps kind of focus and drive uh, when the weather's a bit crappy and you just want to be inside on the sofa eating crisps and watching Netflix. So <laughs> it definitely keeps you motivated. Yeah, definitely. So have you um you said it's been one of like your best results and stuff. You've made a conscious effort to step your game up this winter, or has it just happened quite naturally? Um I kind of so like before like well, before I can't remember what it was. Basically, last time we had national champs, it's always hard to remember with the COVID time. So we had uh, national champs in Ardenlie, which is uh, like 20 minutes house from where I live. And I made a, a conscious effort from that point to uh, to kind of step my sort of riding up and uh, and kind of went full guard for that because I really wanted to, to do well at that event. Um, and then so that was like my first ever big, big national national race. And then from there. This year was the first year I've ever raced a sort of uh, NPS, so a National XC. Um, so I was in sport category. I managed to get a ninth at Canuck and second at uh, Woodies at the two nationals I had this year. So, and then, yeah, just kind of carried on. Um, I've really enjoyed the the structured element of training and it's really good to see when you sort of put the effort in, you do kind of get rewarded. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of been, yeah, I haven't before that point. I was never like a big, big, conscious training i just like going out and ride my bike with my mates but yeah this last two years i've definitely more of a focus on sort of training and making the most out of the time i spend on the bike that's awesome that's we actually briefly met at the canuck national um yeah I mean, we were on the back row together i say met, it's <laughs> back row quick smile before you set off um <laughs> that was uh, that was carnage but yeah it's um it's a small world isn't it um yeah, sure. what we'll do now is we'll, we'll dive into like not the main reason, because obviously everything about you is interesting, but you had a um unusual experience last year, didn't you, with um a World Cup cross country race in Brazil? Yeah, uh yeah, that was yeah, definitely an eventful one. Um so yeah, as part of my jump that like I've kind of mentioned before, um I look after the sort of athletes that we sponsor at Hunt um and Privateer. Uh, one of the athletes that we were supporting last year was um, Isla Short, so World Cup XC sort of racer. Um, we came on as a title sponsor for for that year. Um, so yeah, she we had the opportunity to kind of go out to Brazil. Well, it it was a bit of a yeah, it was definitely a fun funny one. So uh, she had obviously set out to go to Brazil with a uh, sort of her coaching team. Um, like earlier in the year and it was all very well planned out um, and then unfortunately both uh, her helper and uh, her mechanic uh, got COVID like two days before uh, they were due to fly out um, and I uh, basically got the the last minute phone call um, saying do you want to come or I can't go and uh, yeah I just kind of stepped into it and yeah I think I had I think it was six days notice uh, to yeah basically get ready to pack up, go to the other side of the world and 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 mechanic at a bike race. Um, I mechanic for Ireland before at like nationals and stuff like that, but yeah, it was uh, one hell of an experience getting on a getting on a plane to do it. That's for sure. Yeah, I can imagine, and I guess there's packing limitations as well, isn't it? Like you'd obviously take a lot more to a national, perhaps, whereas you have to be more selective because of the weight limits and things flying out to a World Cup in Brazil. Yeah, like uh, so we had to get everything with under like the twenty three kilo kilo weight uh for like my entire sort of luggage so 
you you don't really work out how much tools and stuff weigh until you you kind of pack in for to to get everything in a in a in a suitcase to get out with you. So, like if you have to do things like take take minimal tools, only stuff that you're going to use. Think about what sort of bike whose whose bikes you're working on. So we out went out with two athletes. It was Isla and also one of the other guys on the GB team, Camor. So. Unfortunately, Cam was on tram stuff and I was on Shimano, which means that you, you had tools here and there and stuff like that. But yeah, getting everything under 23 kilos was definitely a bit bit of a mission, but you just have to pack pack smart and pack light. So only taking tools that are, are, are a necessity and hopefully any of the sort of the bigger jobs you can help get help from sort of locals and stuff like that. But in the end, I think I took the majority of my toolbox uh, I left sort of spares up to up to the guys to bring but bike stand and then sort of cleaning brushes uh, a bit of muck off and stuff like that and yeah a secondary secondary toolbox and that was me at the weight limit so it, it quickly adds up um, and yeah it was a squeaky bum time where I was going to get charged uh, by the airline for any excess badges but yeah it's a it's a tricky one traveling with tracking with tools and Obviously, I don't know if you follow it, but I'm quite into my my tools. And there's like toolbox wars and stuff on on Instagram and stuff like that. And you see yeah. the really cool pelly cases that the guys have, uh, they're all like felt line and stuff like that. Um, if I did this for a job, I'd definitely get myself one of that. But I uh, I don't have the budget to be able to to be buying expensive pelly cases for a once off. So uh, we did it on a on a budget. But yeah, it it went out and everything went it didn't go too badly. I had a bit of a incident where. On the flight out, they actually lost uh, lost all my tools, oh, uh, right. which was which was ideal. So, I think I was four days um, without any any sort of tools, just uh, working on either. There's a really nice uh, design uh, like shop case you can get in a little zip bag, which I cleverly put in my tools in my like hand luggage in case anything went wrong, and that got me through. But yeah, it was a it was a bit of a squeaky moment with a well, okay, I, have I come all this way and I'm just gonna be stood at the sidelines being able to do anything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. And and like that disaster aside, I guess it things turned up eventually, right? Yeah, yeah. It actually turned up. Uh, I think it was got a knock on our hotel door at I think it was ten o'clock at night. Everyone had gone to bed and was just banging at the door. I was like, what the hell is this? What's going on? We're getting raided or something and some guy turned up there with my tools and it's like oh sweet well that's a it's <laughs> a nice surprise but yeah definitely what, what I wasn't expecting when I opened the door but yeah yeah everything worked out at the end uh yeah so yeah it was all good so but, how yeah. was like Brazil was obviously quite a wild place and like well for most of the listeners they're based in the UK and Europe and stuff so it's quite a different culture and things I imagine so how was it was it your first time out there have you been before so that was it was my actually my first time ever leaving mainland Europe. So it was uh, definitely a, a shock to the system. Uh, first thing that was obvious when I got out there was the sort of humidity of the of the whole place. It's something that definitely takes a little bit of getting used to. Isla, with a sort of Scottish heritage, uh, definitely did struggle with the heat for a few days until we acclimatized. But yeah, it's a it's a hell of a place, uh, uh, and it was yeah we with taking like higher cars and driving up into the mountains and stuff it it did go from obviously Europe is quite a regimented place and it did feel a little bit law lawless when you sort of got up into those sort of areas because we were in Petropolitis which is just outside Rio de Janeiro um it's a yeah it's quite a quite a nice area but even then like there's cars everywhere there's motorbikes everywhere and it was a, it was a real shock to the system driving a higher car in in those sort of situations for the first time compared to uh yeah compared to mainland europe where everything's a little bit more sedate to say the least 
yeah, I can imagine that was um, pretty stressful, definitely. Um, and, and speaking of stressful, like the course, it looked awesome, but I can imagine, like, what was it like looking at it in person? Because it was quite a um, uh, step up, wasn't it, from some of the other courses? Yeah, it was It was really quite technical. Like, I do a bit of in, enduro racing and riding and stuff like that, and there were some features on there that were like, oh, uh, I'd definitely give it a go on an enduro bike, but an XC bike, you would be be testing it it was it was quite good actually they had a there was a test event i think two weeks before the the world cup there and they made quite a few changes from from that race to the main race okay um which were definitely smart there was a few like ramps and stuff that were put in um to just to make it a little bit bit safer for some of some of the other some of the riders um it was the course was originally designed by avancini which was cool like he's got such an influence there and it's incredible to see how much the brazilian people are behind him as, as a person and what he's given to to that nation so that was really really cool to see but yeah the course was wicked uh some real big features uh the dirt there is really clay so I don't, if you've ridden on sort of clay dirt before we had we had, unfortunately it like rained on the saturday uh, and made it really really slick for the sunday uh before it started to dry out so it was uh some some last minute tire changes but yeah no it was yeah it was a wicked course so I, I was really sad that i didn't have a bike there to give it give it a bash but <laughs> yeah, luggage luggage was at a premium definitely it's it's interesting what you said about having seen being such a big influence because he's actually um stepping out on his own this year isn't he and running his own team and whatnot yeah so yeah he's just launched a team uh it's really cool to see him sort of doing that and yeah they've got some brazilian riders on the team as well so that's that's really cool to see and hopefully we'll see them at a fair few world cups which should be really nice uh on a on a bike brand that i've never never really heard of before from brazil which is cool so hopefully we can see some more of that yeah definitely it's, it's good for the sport to grow isn't it and extend into these um other like areas to get more riders in the mix and things so it's um... yeah like the world cup scene is so european it's 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 painful at times and it's great to see like yeah expanding and and going to new places and yeah i know a hell of a lot of work went into getting the brazil world cup and hopefully we can see with the new sort of help with discovery but it grow more and it become more of an international sport and get more into to asia and those sort of places and really make it a real world feel rather than a european world cup with a couple of flyaways in it yeah definitely no i totally agree and so looking at the the race itself, or not just the race, the weekend and the week before, like was there anything that really surprised you, like being on the tools at a World Cup compared to say at a national and being that side of the tape? Uh it it doesn't really change change that much. Um in terms of you, you try to make everything as, as normal as it is for a sort of normal race weekend, just so the riders feel comfortable and it's not too much of a difference any sort of stretch you can take off and you can do i had quite a lot of of stuff to do with that with the helper not being there so it wasn't just mechanic in it was it was cooking and, and running to the shops and all that jazz but you try to re- take as much stress off the riders as you can and, and they do as little as possible so that they can they can really focus on what they're there to do and race but uh yeah it, it try you try to make it as simple as possible i we didn't have anything too major when it was there, which was really nice, uh, like standard sort of practice for for sort of racing, like stripping down the bikes and stuff is hopefully something you'll only have to do once at the start of the week, check everything over. And then from there, it was pretty much just cleaning and, and bolt checking and that jazz um, throughout the week, any sort of tweaks we went to set up and stuff like that. But it's all all quite minor. And ideally, that's the way you want to 
keep it just little and often just to keep the bikes ticking over and in a good fashion um it's never good to be pulling swing offers and stuff uh, halfway through the week just because yeah <laughs> you can do more on than good so yeah it's just yeah little tweaks especially with where we were um if i was gonna need a sort of bearing press or anything like that i I didn't want to be in that situation so yeah it was just about keeping things ticking over was what i was sort of aiming for and that's what i recommend for any sort of person at a race weekend just keeping making sure your bikes are well maintained before, and all major maintenance is done before you go to the race and then it can just be the little things of uh, sort of bolt check-in and bolt and yeah maybe a tire change and stuff like that when you're actually in the thick of it and and, and racing yeah, I guess prevention is better than a cure, isn't it? Um, as the old saying goes. In terms of, like, because now obviously the World Cup has evolved into there's the short track to consider and then the main race, and you've got to ride the same bike. But is there any obviously a very track to track? But is there say different um, setups that happen between short track and um, the Olympic race on the Sunday? Uh, the so we didn't change well the only thing we changed was tires yeah. um we went to uh, i think we had double ray on instead of a ray and ralph um for the sunday uh, and that was pri primarily down to the sort of change of condition so it was a little bit more slick on the on the sunday uh, so we just wanted a bit of extra grip but generally there's not much change um just because the guys have their bikes up so so well these days that it's not worth uh, adding sort of like an extra bit of PSI to the shop to, to firm it up a bit like that. We could have gone down that option, but you start changing setup and then you're changing the bike, the way the bike rides. So generally it's uh, funny, a good setup that works and then kind of, kind of going from there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess there's two camps. There are the people that like to play the puzzle, aren't there? Who try to tweak it to every track, whereas some people like to set their baseline. So they know how their bike will ride in every condition and it's a bit more uh, predictable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, trying to set a baseline is it works really well and you definitely see more of the sort of puzzling on the on the downhill and the on the gravity side of the business. But I think most the XC guys are really and girls are already keen to find like a base setting and then kinda kinda go from there and yeah, and only tweak slightly just so they, they know what they're letting themselves in for. Yeah. And would you what would you say like the most important part of bike setup? Is like say say you've had a bike fit obviously so you're in the right position to ride it and stuff but things that people might want to consider but like now they're all set ready to go races to come in what would they want to maybe dial in? Um, I probably the biggest thing that I see people overlooking is sort of suspension sag. Mm -hmm. uh, people will like get a new bike, set their sag, and then th that's it. That's all they'll do. And suspension definitely leaks over time and making sure you're checking your sag on a regular basis like people start clicking clicking clicks on their shocks and forks to make it feel different but usually the reason why the suspension's not feeling as good as stuff is because that sort of sag level where you're sitting yourself and your base figure kind of kind of comes to so yeah checking that number on on a, on a weekly basis is something that i would definitely do um to to keep uh, keep your bike feeling as good as it can and generally that's the sort of thing that I always tell my riders to go back to if they're if they're starting to think if they're thinking about making a change is to make sure that 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 number is where it should be, um, and nine times out of ten it isn't, and then uh, that kind of steers, steers that sort of direction. But yeah, um, suspension sag is a is a big one. Yeah, no, totally agree. And it's I don't know, like obviously I'm not a mechanic at all, but I 
one of the most common things I see or hear from like friends, etc. that I ride with is they they often sit too high as well. Like they're afraid of sag, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's almost like they see it as insurance and they're burning into it. But you want to sit a, a decent amount in, if that makes sense, don't you? Yeah, like most bikes are designed to run with a sort of 20 to 30% sag. I definitely think sort of uh, XC riders have a, yeah, I definitely have a fear of using sag because they kind of see it as them as them losing speed, but suspension is as much about gaining and generating speed as it is about taking up impacts. So okay. you're you're with the sort of pressures you're by put, pumping your bike to the ground, you're you're generating more more speed, and you you can kind of use your suspension in that sort of manner. And 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 grip is yeah, grip is what you're after at the end of the day, especially as these uh, sort of xeo courses are getting more and more technical like we've got the national this year at tong which is re- which will be really cool that's like a big big rocky um, nice. ricky place so it's going to be an interesting place to ride where you will need to generate grip both going down and uphill to be able to get over big runk and logs and stuff like that so yeah suspension sag is, is a great way of generating grip um and yeah definitely something not to be scared of using uh because it's there to be used at the end of the day so you, you mentioned it it generates a lot of grip. Is that essentially because you're almost like sat a bit into your suspension, when you go and hit like a hole, it can almost extend into the hole and track the ground, if that makes sense, rather than just like bouncing in, like on a hardtail, it just hits the edge of everything, doesn't it? Yeah, so it's much like how, if you look at sort of common trends and stuff, and if you look at tight, it's very similar to sort of how tyre pressures have gone in, in, in recent years when back a few years ago everyone was running their tires really really hard and now you get to the sort of element now these days where people are are much much lower than they used to be and it has that same effect it gives the ability of the bike and the tire to deform and not to hit that square edge and lose all your speed and to sort of track with the ground and 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 keep that grip and and generate speed so yeah like i i know back in the day we used to run our tires back hard but Isla, who's who's not definitely not a, a heavy rider, was running like seventeen psi in the front, eighteen in the in the rear at World Cups and stuff like that. So it's uh, the, the numbers have severely dropped, and yeah, it's it's so that you can get your bike to deform. Um, your sort of kinematics and the layup of your bike will also work better at sort of your sag numbers. That's how they're designed. So your BV height will be more where it's been designed to. If you run your shocks too hard then you'll basically make the bike sit too high and then it will feel awkward in cornering and stuff like that so yeah it's a it's a it's a very interesting thing and yeah something that's sometimes overlooked nice so obviously we we spoke about quite a bit there um as a as a one-line summary then am i right in saying say 20 to 30 percent is what you're looking for for your suspension front and rear uh, it depends on the depends on the bike. Uh, so most manufacturers will like set it to say it on the website what the bike's designed from. Yeah. So between yeah twenty to thirty on your shock, uh, and usually it's about twenty to twenty five on your fork. Okay. So people can Google their specific bike and find it pretty easily. Hopefully. Yeah, it should be it shouldn't be too hard to find. Awesome. No, no, that's really good. Um, no, thanks for that. It's um probably like you say something that is commonly overlooked. Um, bit of a bit of a strange question then. Do do mechanics in general on the obviously you said that you went out of Isla as sort of like a, a bit of a last minute helping hand but you've done it in the UK do you find that mechanics have to be able to ride themselves in order to understand the bike setup etc and how a bike is ridden 
Uh, I wouldn't say so. Definitely, it definitely helps. Um, and being able to to think as the rider is and to imagine the situation. Uh, definitely more on the sort of gravity side when you're looking at a bit of track and you're looking at compressions and and holes and stuff and how you would avoid them and how you would generate speed through them to be able to visualize how that would feel and then that can really help with sort of your your advice in terms of setup um, and how how you think the rider can get the most out of their bike what tweaks they can they can possibly make to 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 maximize maximize their performance basically but yeah um i wouldn't say it's it's necessary it depends on on your rider if you've got a a, a more experienced rider then definitely i would say it's probably not as necessary as it is if you've got someone with a little bit less experience um at being at those sort of events yeah i i guess obviously working with, with isla and cam he um he's obviously quite high level riders and they they understand themselves and their bike quite well if if you're stepping in at the last minute, was there any say, I don't know, communication problems around? Um, they they want their bike to do a certain thing, or it feels a bit jittery. And like, how do you both make sure you're on the same page? If that makes sense, in any tweaks you're making. Uh, it's yeah, well, it's all about communication and stuff like that. Generally, you are um, going off what the rider says. So generally the rider will tell you what sort of pressure and, and, and stuff you're setting in the bike and it will kind of go from there. And then if they're not sure about something, then, 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 then we'll talk about it and, and think of things that could possibly make it better, whether it's going up or pressure down in pressure or, or tweaking some stuff, but very, yeah, as, a, as we said, like earlier, that people get their base set up so good that it's only, only ever minor tweaks. We, we sort of see these days to get things working. Yeah. Okay. No, that that's great. Um, I guess a follow-on question then, if people are looking to look after their bike well, 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 obviously everyone should maintain their bike, but what should, what's your key tools to get in the toolbox for prepping for a race? Um, uh, good. Tools-wise, uh, probably the biggest thing that, well, it's about spending money on things you use the most. So mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend buying a, a good, good quality set of Allen keys. Um, ideally not a multi-tool just cause they're, they're a bit clunky and awkward to work with. So there's some really nice Allen key sets that you can buy on the market, which, uh, a bit are built to last and, and nice trusty bits of kit. Again, something that you use a lot, uh, as we talked about earlier, suspension settings and stuff like that. So a, a good quality shot pump that, you know, is going to last and then, a thing that you use and the most probably at a race weekend is is the tire pressure gauge when you're checking that on a on a three times a day basis to make sure everything's in, in the right place and in the right window. So those would be my three two three main tools that are definitely worth definitely having um and, and spending a bit of money on making sure that they're they're gonna last and with the shock and the tire pressure gauge it's giving you accurate data that it's gonna be replicable. So you don't want to be having a shot gauge that's going to read five PSI out every time because that's going to make a massive difference to the performance of the bike. If it's giving you a consistent reading every time, that makes a that makes a massive difference. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You don't want to be um chasing numbers too. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, that that's really good. I'm sure a lot of people um expand their toolboxes to to include those those key bits. Um. Final sort of World Cup related question then is a bit of a like a bias one. Who's your money on this year, men's and ladies, for the World Cup? Oh God, that is a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer. Like, oh no, it's, it's all good. Uh, I hadn't actually thought about it yet. It's so, we're so early into the year. Yeah. Um, I um, 
I was probably say Yolanda's probably up for a good year. She had a little bit of a drip last year off the Olympic high, but I reckon she's definitely going to be back up there and mixed it up um, at the top end. And then probably on the men's side, um, Felipe Colombo really impressed me last year, and I reckon he's uh, he's close to winning his first World Cup. So that would be two two that I would be definitely keeping my eye on next this year. Nice, yeah, those those very strong choices, definitely contenders. I think, like you say, uh, be interesting to see how they go. How about yourself? How's obviously you've wrapped up cross season. How's the summer looking for you? Uh, this year will be mainly a focus on the national series. So going to try and do a full full series this year. So that'll be. Good fun. Uh, luckily for me, based down in sort of southeast of England, uh, the the league is very southern, uh, so haven't got to travel too far, which is quite nice. Which yeah, definitely means that we can get out to pretty much every every race this year is the plan, and that'll be the the main of my character cal- calendar. And then mix things up uh, when we're not racing those. So a bit of enduro stuff, some gravel events, also on the calendar as well um so yeah just kind of mix it up i like to try and keep things pretty free and not book up to in advance um i definitely do see summer is more of like a a, a fun and play time um and cross is quite serious just because it's so full on you're racing every weekend it's it's quite nice to be able to have a little bit more relaxed calendar and just do stuff that, that i want to do and yeah not too much put too much of a pressure on it but yeah uh, nps will definitely be my focus this year that's for sure Great. No, that sounds good. Well, I'm sure we'll see each other again at some races because, um, yeah, hoping to get to all the NPS rounds. That'd be um, that'd be good. Nice. Okay. And as we just said, race season is coming in hot. What would be your your go? We've talked about the go to tools. What about like the go to checks that you do in the week leading up to, or even on race day itself? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely with sort of pre race checks. Definitely don't leave. It. Biggest advice would be don't leave it to the day of the race. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely good to to kind of do that in advance. Like racing on the Sunday, I definitely uh, sort of do that on the on the Saturday or even the Friday if possible. In terms of the majority of the bike being sort of taken apart and checked over, so wheels out, check all your bearings and stuff like that, or your headset and stuff like that. All the all the bigger things that could cause you a bit of a hiccup on race day, kind of get them done earlier in the re- in in the week. Check your chain and any sort of wear on your brake pads and stuff like that. So the majority of of that's all done before you even start checking over the bike for for sort of your races and making sure it's clean. I know everyone likes a bike's a good clean bike for racing on, but there is also a benefit of of physically cleaning your bike and make sure everything is nice and clean. Is that it gives you a really good chance to sort of check everything over and make and spot something that maybe isn't right that you need to sort out or if a cable's feeling a bit grunchy when you're checking things over and cleaning it then it, it's a really good sort of way to to do that and to go over the whole bike is just to, to give it a good clean and make sure everything's in tip-top condition but main things would be yeah checking your your, your two main two main indicators so make sure your gears are all running smooth uh if it's feeling a bit crunchy maybe putting in a fresh a fresh in a gear cable just to make it feel nice and crisp because you want really good shifting when you when you when you're racing again the same with your with your brakes making sure they're feeling real nice um if they are feeling a bit spongy a fresh set of brake pads uh, can do wonders for sort of your feel and how how your brakes are feeling, whether you don't, and maybe not necessarily saving saving the hassle of doing a doing a brake brake bleed, but 
in terms of like on on your race day, uh, it's just simply well, at, at World Cup level, it's just generally just just bulk checking is the main thing and making sure everything's is tight and everything's where it is and you're not going to come into any instances. Uh, luckily, I haven't had to, but you definitely see times from from see it from time to time with sort of mechanicals that you don't think really should go wrong, whether it's sort of seat post failing and stuff like that, or saddles coming loose. Those are all all checks that if they'd been done prior, probably wouldn't have happened. So yeah, I've definitely the pre pre bolt check is definitely uh, one I would highly recommend. Uh, and then, yeah, as we've talked earlier in the podcast, making sure your tire pressures and your, and your shocks and everything's is in, is where you need it to be to, to, to feel comfortable on the bike. Nice. Well, well, there you have it, everybody. That's how to get ready to go racing. Um, from a mechanical standpoint, anyway, you've got to get fit as well. <laughs> um, well it definitely doesn't help that bit. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's that's great. Thanks a lot for that. What we'll do then is we'll we'll get stuck into the the part of the show everyone looks forward to the the fun part, as it were. <laughs> but no, that was really interesting. Um, yeah. I guess a final related question would be: Have you have you got any like online resources that you really recommend that people who are perhaps wanting to learn a bit might check out? uh so there's a few i definitely recommend uh it as as the world of instagram uh like short reels and stuff like that you see so many little hints hints and tips you can get off people who are like mechanics and follow like so toolbox wars and stuff like that of neat little tricks of how to sh shortcuts you can do to make tasks easier and simpler so yeah just yeah those sort of things or the classic uh classic part two videos with kelvin always a, a good one if you want to laugh and, and learn some basic skills Awesome. Okay. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll try and get some um, some links in the description um, or the show notes. Yeah. Those. But no, thanks for that. That's really good. And I guess we'll um, step into um, hits and shits. So uh, hits would be things you really like about the sport in general, of like um, cross-country and totally cross and things as well. Um, and you want to see more of perhaps. And then shits would be things that you, you don't like. It can be little peeves such as, I don't know, inner tubes or setting up tubeless tires or it can be like more serious and about i, I don't know like prize money for pros or something like that <laughs> cool um hits for me uh would definitely be cx racing anyone that hasn't given it a go um it's really really good fun and for a sort of something to do in winter when everything weather's a bit crap uh getting out and sort of uh, rubbing, rubbing and racing uh, in a, in a muddy field is just just the best fun, and it doesn't really matter on your level of fitness. Um, like anyone, anyone can go out and do a CX race and and have a well of a time. It doesn't matter that you're front; you're still going to be battling with people and and riding around and having a well of a time. So yeah, CX would be what my hit, and I would definitely recommend it to anyone who's uh, yeah wants wants something to focus on in winter. That's for sure. Um, shits wise, is something that I've been struggling with personally a little bit which is um sort of the ability to sort of organize sort of grassroots events um in sort of cycling it's it's very difficult now with the sort of amount of red tape and land access and all that jazz um to sort of get racing local racing at least off the off the ground i'm so so grateful for anyone who has managed it around here we've got a few like local series with the southern xc guys and 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 the goroks as well and they do such a fantastic job um and i don't know how they do it to be honest the the, the amount of red tape and stuff they have to get through is is incredible and it is a real shame that it's such a hard thing to do um and it'd be great if we could have some more 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 racing throughout the season and it wasn't so so scattered but yeah that's uh that's definitely a pet peeve of mine 
Well, that's good actually. That's perfect. Well, not that it's not obviously not a good situation, but it ties into my shit this week. Per- uh, my hit rather this week perfectly, which was um volunteers, whether that be trail builders or marshals at events, because they don't get enough thanks, do they? Um, or enough praise, and it's everyone's quick to moan when the trails like um worn out or if there's an event that like it's, i know start time gets today by 15 minutes it's like the world ends isn't it but not many people yeah. say thanks so thank you to all the marshals and event organizers and trail builders that volunteer yeah definitely they're, they're yeah especially trail builders around here it, i'm very grateful for all the guys around here they do do a fantastic job uh up in the local woods and stuff like that and yeah mountain biking definitely wouldn't be where it is without without those guys you put in the half craft and yeah they definitely don't get any thanks Oh, well, there you go. Hopefully some of them listen to this. Um, and then, then my shit is um it's interesting how you've like transitioned away from well, you've got more into structured training and things. Um, but my shit is perhaps training can be overly structured when you make the conscious effort to take things seriously, if that makes sense. And like personally, I've done it in the past, like, I've lost the joy and been too mm. focused on say sitting on the turbo rather than just going out with my mates and chasing each other around the woods trying to just go fast and do silly things on bikes you know um i think people forget that like just hitting turns and smiling is actually quite good training sometimes yeah definitely like we all go into bikes because we love love riding them and yeah the soulless soullessness of the turbo um, <laughs> definitely can can ruins people's morale but I know definitely this time of year, I think everyone struggles with the the cold and the shorter days. It's really hard to ride a bike in, in light if you have a full-time job and, and you can't ride and if you can't ride at the weekend. So yeah, morale definitely takes a point. And there's to some points when when you definitely feel like you can't you don't want to get on your bike, but you know you've got a big event coming up and it'll do you some good if you do. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I think that the, like the the line is like when say it's really sunny outside but you've been off going out in the sun because you've got to do some really specific intervals on the turbo it's kind of that's that's when you know you've gone too far <laughs> yeah for sure definitely yeah i try to avoid turbo from like may through to through to september if i can but yeah sometimes it has to come out unfortunately that's <laughs> yes, very evil yeah um link to that then what is your um your best train session or your favorite one to do oh um i'm Definitely a bit of a sadist at heart, and don't and love a bit of a like a like a forty twenty set or something like that. Uh, so forty seconds max, and then twenty seconds off, and repeat until basically you blow. Ooh. It works pretty good for CX training and stuff, CX racing because it's so on and off. But yeah, that's uh, if I want to hurt myself, that's generally uh, where where I end up going. Nice. That that sounds like a spicy one. That's good. And yeah, for sure. Oh, I assume in the summer you do that outside somehow and then in the winter you do it on the turbo or something. That's yeah, that's definitely more of a winter one for CX and then summer it's generally just good good old fashioned hill reps are a, a good part of my training. Nice. That that sounds good. Um on to the next question then. So if you can finish the sentence, if I wasn't racing bikes, well I guess racing bikes or working in your current role, I'd be dot dot dot. Probably be playing golf and walking with dog. Uh, that, that's that's probably where I'd end up. Yeah, uh, it's very hard to imagine a life without bikes. But yeah, I think those are two of my main pleasures when it comes not comes to bikes. Nice. I mean, they are good. I've not not tried re- ever tried golf in my life, but I've heard good things, and I've got a dog, so I can get you on that point. So maybe I can <laughs> try some golf. <laughs> Golf's definitely not for everyone, but yeah, I recommend it. It's good fun. 
No, that's good. Um, we've we've spoken a lot about the mechanical side of the sport and lots of tips and advice. Have you got any like general advice to the average racer like myself? Um, what would like your one piece of advice be that it can be like performance or fun focused? Um, yeah, to get the best out uh, of yourself, maybe for racing and training and things. Yeah, like I think for like people who can't commit to like a full full time life of being able to train, um, I'd say consistency is key. Uh, I've quite a few friends who who like commit really, really hard to training, do like three really, really hard, intense weeks of training and then kind of fall off the rails. It's so much better to sort of set yourself a, a realistic goal of how much you, how much time you can commit to training that isn't going to entirely take off you well because at the end of the day, there's other stuff that's more important than, than riding bikes at the end of the day. But yeah, consistency is key. Like don't train like a madman for three weeks uh, and then right before a race and expect to come out with a really good result. It does take a lot of time over a, over a lot of time over a long period of time to be able to sort of get to a really good level of fitness, especially race fitness. Cause it is definitely different to just going out with your mates, but yeah, that would why I'd be saying don't, don't go full whack for two weeks and expect to be able to win a race. It's, it's, it's a little bit more than that. Yeah. And I, like tied into that i'd say like one session won't make you but it'll definitely break you like if you're say really you're in a bit of a hole after two solid weeks you think oh i've got to do my session even though you can barely keep your eyes open because you're so tired um you should probably sit that one out <laughs> yeah being really like yeah being really keen on how how fatigued you are and your fatigue levels like yeah you might have a session booked but if if you do feel feel fucked then don't don't do it because you're just gonna <laughs> end up end up going down a spiral but there's definitely a sort of catch-22 on that and whether it's fucked because you're fatigued or fucked because you can't be fucked and yeah, yeah there's definitely a balance there of, of of which way it swings sometimes and yeah sometimes it is that i can't be fucked mentality <laughs> yeah i guess you learn with time isn't it and experience you learn your body and how it responds and what is yeah. tiredness and what is deep fatigue and maybe a bit of a red flag um, but no that's good um off the back of that have you got any particular like, heroes or inspiration that have inspired you in your your journey your your career and your time on the bike i guess um oh that's a hard one um so probably a hero of mine uh, it's more on the sort of gravity side of the sport but in downhill but it would probably be greg minar yeah. Um, just because he's he's such an attribute to to the sport um, as sort of like a rider lead for the UCI and being able to compete at the level he does and have such a long and prosperous career is something I massively aspire to. So he would he would probably be the one I'd go to. That's good. I mean, he is the goat for a reason, isn't he? So that's a very exactly. good shout. Um, exactly. And if listeners maybe aren't that familiar with the gravity side of the sport, check it out. There's, there's loads of stuff on Greg Miller on the internet, some great videos. The Syndicate videos on YouTube are pretty funny. So check those out. They're, they're always a good laugh, that's for sure. <laughs> But no, that's great. And um, that, that basically wraps up our time. Um, if, where's the best place to people to stay in touch with what you're doing? Um, is there any like thanks you want to give to anyone? Uh, yeah, well, best way to keep keep a track on me is uh, on Instagram. Uh, I'm sure Ashley will drop a note to the link in my page on the in the show notes and stuff. Um, but I yeah, main big thanks and stuff that all of this wouldn't be possible is with the amazing company I work for Humbike Wheels and, and Privateer Bikes uh, without this. And yeah, I don't know what I'd be doing. So yeah, big kudos to those guys. Uh, yeah. It's been a blast. Awesome. Well, 
thank you very much for that. Um, have a have a great evening and a good season. And no doubt we'll um, see you soon. I'm sure I'll see you in a field at some point. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Cheers, Dan. No worries, man. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to another episode of the A-Line Podcast. Any feedback is really welcome, so either leave us a review on your podcast app of choice or drop me a message on Instagram at the A-Line Podcast. Also, racing is starting to kick off, so if you see me at a race, be sure to come and say hello. It'd be great to have a chat. Until next time, ride fun and ride fast.